You're listening to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel, produced by the broadcast professionals of the Florida Bar. Welcome to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by Legal Fuel, the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. We're so glad you're joining us. This is Christine Bilbrey. I'm a Senior Practice Management Advisor at the Bar and one of the hosts of the show, which is being recorded from our home offices in Tallahassee, Florida. Hello, I'm Carla Eckhart. I'm a Practice Management Advisor at the Florida Bar and a co-host of today's podcast. Our goal at the Practice Resource Center is to assist Florida attorneys with running the business side of their law practices. We focus on a different topic each month and carry the theme through our website with related tips, videos, and articles. So joining us to talk about what the Florida Bar rules say about the qualifying provider service rule, referrals, and fee splitting is Jonathan Grab. Jonathan has served as Assistant Ethics Counsel for the Ethics and Advertising Department of the Florida Bar for over six years. During that time, Jonathan has fielded approximately 20,000 calls on the ethics hotline, has reviewed thousands of lawyers' advertisements, and issued dozens of staff opinions. Prior to working at the Florida Bar, Jonathan was a senior attorney in the Agency for Persons with Disabilities, where he handled a variety of matters, including appellate cases, federal litigation, administrative hearings, and rulemaking. Jonathan is an alumnus of Florida State University's College of Law, class of 2008. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Hi, glad to be back. Yeah, welcome back to the show. (laughs) (laughs) You should give out blazers like Saturday Night Live when you hit five times. Um, Jonathan, tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself if they haven't listened to the other episode where you were on and a little bit about what your department does at the Florida Bar. Sure. So um, I work in the ethics and advertising department here at the Florida Bar. Uh, That means that for about half of my day, I'm on the ethics hotline. Uh, which is open every weekday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And you can call in at 1-800-235-8619 if you ever have any questions regarding the ethics rules or advertising. Um, We also do uh, written opinions in response to emails or uh, letters that we receive asking ethics or advertising questions. Um, And we help assist some of the committees uh, within the bar as well Uh, Basically, to review some of these questions, uh, we also have staff that work with uh, the Rules Committee. Um, So, yeah, this is, uh, you know, sort of a big part of what we do is really just trying to assist bar members in understanding what their ethical obligations are, as well as working with them and their marketers to understand better what they can do in the realm of advertising. So we want to start off with the qualifying provider rule that went into effect in 2018 and replaced the lawyer referral service rule. Um, But before we dig deep into uh, all of the questions our listeners may have, can you explain to us the difference between a qualifying provider versus a lawyer referral service? So really, a lawyer referral service is just a subset within the broader definition of qualifying providers. Uh, 4-7.22 of the rules regulating the Florida Bar is the qualifying provider rule. And that rule really uh, was broadened to encompass much more than just lawyer referral services, which is what the rule previously referred to. Um, Now it includes potentially lawyer directories, any sort of matching service. And again, um, those standard lawyer referral services that you often hear about 
um, whether it's, you know, through advertising, you know, on billboards or what have you. And so this all occurred in 2018. They made this change and it caused some confusion. So can Florida Bar members now pay to get referrals from anyone? No, and that's actually uh, referred to in a separate rule. If you look at rule 4-7.17, subsection B, it actually specifically prohibits a lawyer from giving anything of value in exchange for someone else recommending the the lawyer's services with the exception of the reasonable cost of regular advertising, you know, your, your billboards, your television ads, your website banners, all of that, um, that they may also pay the usual charges of a lawyer referral service, lawyer directory, qualifying provider, or other legal service organization, or may purchase a law firm under Rule 4-1.17. Now, I realize I'm going through a lot of citations here, so if you need me to rehash anything to you know, better explain, you know, please ask. Um, that being said, uh, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of rules that interact when you're talking about qualifying providers and referrals. And really here, the focus would be 4-7.17, subsection B, which is going to say that, yes, again, you're limited to those referrals uh, where you're paying for anything in the case of qualifying providers, which, again, more broadly includes those lawyer referral services. Now, uh, this is also a question we've had that's caused some confusion. Can Florida lawyers divide fees with qualifying providers? And what about nonprofit Florida Bar and Voluntary Bar Association referral fees? Okay, so for qualifying providers, no, you still can't divide fees in a way that would run afoul of Rule 4-5.4, the rule for the prohibition on sharing fees with non-lawyers. And so, yes, you are still going to have that problem of if they're asking you to divide fees based on, say, the perceived value of a case, um, or they're asking you to give uh, literally a percentage of what you recover you know, or what you obtain as fees from a client, those are going to still be prohibited arrangements. And we actually have a really great ethics opinion um, that's available on our website. It's Florida Ethics Opinion 18-1, and it really goes through a variety of scenarios to discuss specifically when a lawyer potentially could have a permissible payment arrangement with a qualifying provider versus when you're going to have an arrangement that likely would run afoul of those rules. And lawyer referral services in the past um, were always required to state in ads that they were only a referral service. Can qualified provider services, because I, I know that that little detail looks like it was deleted from the rule, can a qualified provider service advertise as if they are a law firm and then farm out the cases to other attorneys that have signed up with their service? No, they may not. And actually, this is still addressed, at least to some degree, in the rule. If you look at Rule 4-7.22 in subsection D11, it notes that a a qualifying provider cannot use a name or engage in any communication with the public that could lead prospective clients, excuse me, that could lead prospective clients to reasonably conclude that the qualifying provider is a law firm or directly provides legal services to the public. So yes, if you have one of those banners that says something along the lines of 
you know, we'll get a recovery for you or we'll fight for your interests. Those are going to be a problem under that rule because, again, it's implying that that qualifying provider, that lawyer referral service is actually going to be the entity that's rendering the services to the client rather than them just sending the case over to an attorney. So they could say in the alternative, we'll put you in contact with someone who can help you. Now, what about for Florida bar members that also apply to be QPSs? Do all the advertising rules still apply to them or is there some, do, do both apply? What do they have to say in their ads? Do they, do they have to say, we'll fight for you or we'll refer you to someone who will? <laughs> So, I mean, presumably a qualifying provider is not going to be a law firm. A law firm, you know, obviously uh, could share fees, divide fees with another lawyer, uh, depending on the circumstances under Rule 4-1.5 sub G, you know, all of that. And I imagine we'll get into that in a little bit later in the show. Um, but that that being said, when you're talking about a qualifying provider, it's presumably going to be set up as a separate non-law firm entity. And so still you're going to have that issue, even if it's owned or operated by a lawyer, where they're still going to be prohibited from, again, offering legal services directly. And yes, any qualifying provider still has to, cl- uh, still has to comply with the lawyer advertising rules in subchapter 4-7 as a whole. So that's going to include that you can't have anything false or misleading in your ads. You can't have celebrity endorsements. You can't have, uh, you know, again, these statements that, uh, potentially would otherwise cause the prospective client to misunderstand what their role is. Um, And there are some additional specific requirements for their advertisements in Rule 4-7.22. But, you know, really, again, the focus is if a lawyer can't do it in their advertising, a qualifying provider can't do it. Now, part of the catch here is that we don't regulate qualifying providers directly. We regulate lawyers. You know, that's what we do at the Florida Bar. So when a lawyer is going to work with a qualifying provider, it's actually on them to make sure that they do their due diligence and check to see if this qualifying provider is complying with those advertising rules and is filing at least an annual report with the lawyers, the participating lawyers' names and bar numbers to the Florida bar. Because if the lawyer doesn't do that and the qualifying provider then runs afoul of the rules, what we do is we would sanction the lawyer potentially. I want to talk about, I'm not naming names, but um, if you've driven on I-10, you've seen billboards and it looks like it's for a law firm. I think there's a photograph of the person and I believe it's actually an Alabama attorney um, and it they're advertising. And then the idea is that if you call that number, they're going to kick you over to a Florida attorney. And I know that I've seen it in Tallahassee. Um, it looks like they have a setup. How big does it have to say? I mean, like, do you guys get uh, complaints about that, like you're from other bar members who are saying, look, this really looks like uh, this is a firm here in Florida. Um, and I think we talked about this with Elizabeth Tarbert one time. Um, it, it's how does that get shut down? Do you have to have an official complaint? Do you guys go out and look at the billboards? What happens? So, our department is actually not involved in the investigatory side. Um, that's really up to lawyer regulation. Again, mm-hmm. our department is focused more on uh, helping lawyers to understand their duties so that they can voluntarily comply with the rules rather than the bar having to, having to go out and potentially sanction them for the conduct. 
Um, also, potentially, you know, if you're talking about an out-of-state lawyer who's not licensed in Florida and isn't properly operating an interstate law firm, mm-hmm. um, which frankly could probably be a topic, you know, in and of itself um, <laughs> for the podcast, um, you know, then yes, in that scenario, it's also potentially going to involve the unlicensed practice of law department here at the bar because, you know, they potentially would have to seek uh, their own injunctive relief or potentially if someone's engaged in the unlicensed practice of law in Florida, you know, there are criminal sanctions for that. Now, moving on to a slightly different topic, um, what about traditional referral fees from one attorney to another? We get this question all the time, and there seems to be a belief that an attorney who sends a potential client to another attorney is automatically entitled to a 25% cut of the fee, um, even though they've not worked on the case at all. All they did was pick up the phone and send Mm -hmm. the case elsewhere. So, are these referral fees actually fee splitting? Are they permitted? How, how, how does that work? So what we refer to it as is a division of fees between separate law firms. And this is addressed in particular in rules 4-1.5 subsection G and 4-1.5 subsection F4D of the rules regulating the Florida Bar. And that provision is specific to contingent fee matters that involve a tort for personal injury, property damage, loss of services, um, that those similar types of tort claims specifically uh, for 4-1.5 sub F4D. Um, so there are going to be some specific requirements for contingent, or sorry, for those contingent fees um, where there's a division of fees between separate lawyers. Um, but on the whole, you start with 4-1.5 sub G, which applies to every division of fees between any group of lawyers um, where they're in separate law firms. So the first option under 4-1.5 sub G1 is that lawyers in separate law firms may divide fees in proportion to the services performed by each law firm. Now, this is obviously the easiest to determine when you're talking about separate law firms that are both charging on an hourly basis where you can break down and say, okay, this firm is charging you know, $250 an hour for their services and they rendered 20 hours and therefore you know, we can calculate exactly what their portion would be while the other firm is rendering services at $350 an hour and they did you know, 15 hours of work and so you can break it down that way. And in that scenario, that limited scenario where it's in proportion to the services performed by each lawyer, you don't need a written agreement explicitly. Now, of course, that's always a good idea to have a written agreement um, for any fee arrangement and retainer of a client. But, you know, that's really not specifically ethically required in that scenario. Now, 4-1.5 sub G2 is really more what lawyers think of when they talk about referral fees. And 4-1.5 sub G2 does require that there's a written agreement with the client that discloses that there is a division of fees, the basis for that division of fees between the separate law firms, and it states that each lawyer is jointly responsible for the representation and available for consultation with the client. So really what that means is that when lawyers give a referral to another law firm, they don't just get a you know, wash their hands of it and forget about it until they get their check. They are still jointly responsible and available for consultation. So if, you know, frankly, that other lawyer ends up committing malpractice, well, guess what? You may have some liability for failing to protect that client's interest since you are jointly responsible. So, so can I, we, I, yeah. I, 
But so can we put this urban legend to bed that you cannot, because I know that this has gone on, if you've been in the legal field for a while, there are people that, attorneys who advertise like crazy with the intent of not uh, taking those cases. And they have these kind of um, casual arrangements with other attorneys that they, they you know, just uh, kick them work and they automatically, whatever, it's like they are a referral service. Right. Are you aware of that going on? Have you heard uh, of that? Again, it, it very well may be the case. And there's actually a specific rule that was developed to address that in the advertising rules. And that's um, in particular 4-7.12 subsection B of the rules, which notes that if that's really a lawyer's intent, if they expect that they're going to advertise for an area of law and then just send those cases to someone else, they need to say that in the advertisement. Because yes, at that point, the client should be able to know when they go to the lawyer, that person's not actually going to be your lawyer. They're just going to send you down the street to another law firm. And I think, I guess the intent, no matter which rule or subsection of the rule you look like, um, the intent of the rules is always transparency with the client. Mm -hmm. um, so you either work on the case and you get a fee that's in proportion to uh, the amount of time spent on the case, or you don't work on the case, but the client has to know that you're getting a fee, that you're still responsible, and that should anything go wrong, you can be held liable as well, even if you have not worked on the case. And similarly with Christine's uh, arrangement here, again, if... Not my arrangement. Well, not your arrangement, <laughs> but your example, your, your scenario. Uh, similarly, it's that if you are a law firm and you tend to farm out a lot of work for whatever reason, um, mm -hmm. you you must somewhat disclose that, you know, your case may be referred elsewhere. Um, so it's always transparency for the public, I guess, is, is the intent of all the rules. Really? Yes, exactly. I mean, that's what the ethics rules are there for is, again, to protect the public. Um, and to set those minimum standards for attorneys so that, you know, yes, if they fail to do their job properly and fail to disclose information for the public to make those informed decisions, then, you know, yeah, the attorneys are putting their own license on the line. Okay, so I have another scenario, not my own, <laughs> one that I'm aware of. Can a Florida lawyer have an informal arrangement with, say, a local chiropractor who sends their patients to the lawyer and then the lawyer, you know, just casually recommends the chiropractor if they come in and they've been in a car wreck? Um, I know that goes on. I've seen stacks of business cards and that they're like, hey, don't they? I know that the staff has been told this is the person we refer to. Is that allowed? No, that is not going to be permitted <laughs> under the rules. And no. again, this, <laughs> yeah, this is under 4-7.17 sub B. Again, um, you can't have someone who's a non-lawyer recommending your services in exchange for anything of value. Um, and here, you know, yeah, especially when you're talking about a chiropractor, um, that's going to run into issues with the prohibition on solicitation, because presumably that chiropractor is, you know, directly suggesting to the person, you should contact this lawyer. Well, that's a problem under the solicitation rule, because now you've got an agent acting on your behalf who's improperly soliciting in a way that will be imputed to you as the lawyer. And then further, by returning referrals back to that chiropractor, now you're giving something of value in exchange for that chiropractor recommending your services. Now, this is just the issues within the ethics rules. If you go beyond that, I mean, I, you know, I can't give an opinion from the ethics department about issues of statute, 
But there are certain statutory provisions that potentially prohibit a lawyer from uh, from obtaining recommendations or referrals and prohibit these non-lawyer entities, specific non-lawyer entities, from making referrals to lawyers. And potentially, again, those have criminal sanctions. Um, in particular, you may want to look at Section 877.02 Florida Statutes. Um, which refers to, uh, quote, it shall be unlawful for any person in the employ of or in any capacity attached to any hospital, sanitarium, police department, record service or garage, prison or court, or for a person authorized to furnish bail bonds, investigators, photographers, insurance, or public adjusters to communicate directly or indirectly with any attorney or person acting on said attorney's behalf for the purpose of aiding, assisting, or abetting such attorney in the solicitation of legal business or the procurement through solicitation of a retainer, written or oral, of any agreement authorizing the attorney to perform or render legal services, end quote. And so, I, I mean, again, I realize that this is getting fairly wonky um, when you're talking about, you know, these, these legal terms and going through, you know, the provision of the statute. But I mean, yes, this, the short answer is it's going to be a problem if a lawyer is getting referrals from a chiropractor. Now, a lawyer, on the other hand, may in some scenarios, you know, if they reasonably believe it would be in the client's interest and they disclose to the client that potentially, you know, there may be some, any, uh, any sort of relationship between the lawyer and non-lawyer business in some instances um, where the lawyer would get some sort of finder's fee or anything like that. Um, in exchange for sending the person to the non-lawyer business, a lawyer may potentially in those scenarios send business to the non-lawyer, not the reverse, but the lawyer may send somebody to a non-lawyer upon that full disclosure of the client's written informed consent. And again, you know, uh, uh, making sure that it actually is in the client's interest. But even then, the lawyer has to give the benefit of that referral arrangement back to the client whether it's crediting oh. against the client's fees that they're paying to the lawyer or potentially just literally giving the money over to the client as a discount, basically, um, instead of keeping that referral fee, that, that finder's fee themselves. Interesting. I really like yeah. that. I, I hope attorneys listening to this really absorb that one um, mm -hmm. and, and everything we've talked about. And I, I know... Previously, you, you briefly mentioned interstate law practices, um, and that, like you said, could be an episode in and of itself. However, there is a, a division of fee question that comes up sometimes when we uh, deal with attorneys that are considering an interstate law practice. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's a, an out-of-state firm. They want to open a Florida office, and they want to split fees with some random attorney that they found, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some random bar member uh, here in Florida that they found. How will that work if it works at all? So there's two slightly different scenarios. One is if they actually operate an interstate law firm. And again, we actually have, if you uh, Google Florida bar interstate law firms, you should find our informational packet uh, on the website. And it'll have a series of ethics opinions um, that discuss what is required to operate an interstate law firm in Florida. But in that scenario, they could actually render the services themselves in Florida if they are properly an interstate law firm. And then they could actually divide fees with that other lawyer. On the other hand, if you're talking about a matter where it's an out-of-state lawyer and they're referring a client to a Florida lawyer for a Florida matter, then there are going to be specific situations where that may be permissible. But for the whole, I mean, when you're talking about a Florida law matter, a Florida client 
it's going to be prohibited for the lawyer to give anything to that out-of-state lawyer in exchange for that referral. They can't pay a referral fee, and again, they can't give anything of value under 4-7.17 sub B. Um, what you'll want to look at in this situation is Ethics Opinion 90-8, which again, all of this is available on our website. Um, but 90-8 goes through a variety of scenarios about when a lawyer in Florida could pay a referral fee to an out-of-state lawyer. And really the crux of it is, is that out-of-state lawyer able to provide any actual services within the jurisdiction of their license? And so if you, you know, have an Illinois lawyer who has a client who drove down to Florida for vacation, got into a car accident in Florida, drove back up to Illinois, and then talked to them about what their claims may be, well, in that case, yes, potentially that Illinois lawyer, because the client is an Illinois resident, may be able to provide some useful services and potentially, again, assuming the lawyer in Florida complies with Florida's fee division requirements otherwise, as they would with any other Florida lawyer, they could potentially pay a referral fee to that Illinois lawyer. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. You must get some very strange calls where people are explaining very long scenarios for you to respond to. We get those too, but um, I feel like you are well-versed in this. Well, we get them and then kick them up to you invariably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so once they start getting, you know, usually for our listeners, when you call us mm. and ask us about division of a fee rules and whatnot, we'll cite the rule to you. I will read it to you word for word. Um, mm -hmm. But the second you go into a very complicated, intricate, you unique scenario, you're going to get kicked up to Jonathan's department, the ethics department, um, because we cannot interpret the rules and we cannot determine whether your specific scenario uh, fits into uh, whether or not uh, fits into the rules and whether or not you're compliant. So you will be talking to the ethics department no matter what. Now, we also get members calling us who've already spoken to the ethics department, mm -hmm. hoping to get uh, a different answer from <laughs> us. And again, you're going to be kicked back up to the ethics department. So mm -hmm. no matter how you uh, go about it, um, you want to talk to ethics about anything we've discussed on this podcast, really. Mm -hmm. um, if, if it gets too complicated or too personal beyond just asking what the rule is. And I'm glad you bring that up, Carla, because another opportunity to explain the differences in the departments of the bar. Um, Carla and I are in the Practice Resource Center, and we assist Florida Bar members with running the business side of their practices. We are not attorneys, and we are not permitted to interpret the rules. That is Jonathan's department. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Um, really good information. Um, and I do want to remind people that there's always the option. Uh, we have the Florida Bar Referral Service. And Carla, where can they find information to, if they want to sign up with, with that kind of referral straight from the Florida Bar? Sure. If you want to sign up for the Florida Bar's Lawyer Referral Service as an attorney, um, so if you're a member of the public, do not proceed <laughs> with what I'm about to say. If you are an attorney and you want to sign up for the lawyer referral service, um, the easiest way to get to that is to go to lrs.floridabar.org. And then on the top of the page, you'll see lawyers apply. That will take you to the join the lawyer referral service page where you will find uh, the LRS attorney application, the LRS panel renewal application, as well as all the procedures and requirements and any contact information. So again, that is going to be lrs.floridabar.org. And then you want to select lawyers apply at the top of the page and go from there. Excellent. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of this segment of our episode. Thank you, Jonathan Grab, for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
And because this particular issue is so complicated, can you tell our listeners again how they reach your department and where they can find the information about it on the Florida Bar website? Yes. Um, again, you can reach the Ethics Hotline by dialing 1-800-235-8619. And uh, we're available uh, from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. every weekday, um, of course, excluding holidays. Um, and, you know, yeah, we're always help, uh, happy to help anyone who calls in, uh, you know, members of the Florida Bar in good standing or somebody who's calling in on behalf of, the, of a member of the Florida Bar in good standing. Um, to try and answer their questions and help them navigate the ethics rules and advertising rules, which are contained within the ethics rules, chapter four of the rules regulating the Florida bar. Um, so yes, if they ever have a question, whether it's, you know, they just don't want to take the 20 minutes or half an hour it may take to find the answer on their own, please give us a call. It takes, you know, if we can answer your question in two minutes when it would have taken you half an hour, that's what we're here for. So always, you know, if anyone has a question, feel free to give us a ring and, I mean, yeah, of course, if we can't help you, if it's not really a question that's within our, you know, within our purview, we'll tell you and, you know, just say, you know, sorry, this isn't really something that we can assist with. But, you know, if you think it might be, give us a call. So joining us now to talk about what Florida Bar members need to know if they are considering signing up with a qualifying provider service for referrals is Monica Burks. Monica Burks has been working at the Florida Bar going on 17 years. She spent 12 years in lawyer regulation. She manages the qualifying provider service database and handles all of the reporting from qualifying provider services in the state of Florida and a few that are even nationwide. Monica is responsible for ensuring all qualifying provider services have submitted their annual reports and lists of participating attorneys. She works closely with the Bar's Advertising Council for Advertising Complaints. Monica received her bachelor's degree from FAMU in May and will soon start a graduate program while continuing to work at the Florida Bar. Welcome to the show, Monica. Hi. <laughs> so, Monica, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your department here at the Florida Bar. Okay. Um, again, yes, my name is Monica, um, and I've been with the Florida Bar for 17 years in lawyer regulation for 12, um, and been working very diligently with the qualifying provider services. So, um, I'm very knowledgeable about the the services that we have here in the state of Florida. And so what exactly is a qualified provider service? Is it the same as a what used to be called a referral service? A qualifying provider service is basically a marketing service that consumers or potential clients can help utilize to help them find them an attorney in specific expertise or geographic location. About how many qualified provider services are currently approved by the Florida Bar? As of July 2020, we have a total of 82 um, qualifying provider services that have filed their annual reports. And what information do qualified providers have to provide to the bar in order to become a qualified provider? And then once they are, you mentioned annual reports. Yes. First, they must complete an annual reporting application and submit the participating attorneys along with their names and a notice of participation 
the attorneys have to be eligible to practice in the state of Florida for them to participate with the qualifying provider service. And when you say there's 82, that's a lot more than I expected. Um, If a bar member is looking to sign up with one of the qualified provider services because they want some referrals, can they access the list through your department or somewhere on the bar's website? Yes, there is a list that is on the website, but because of the um, volume of applications that I get for for the qualifying provider services, um, the numbers change daily. So it's it's probably best if they contact you to get either an updated list or just to get the most updated information. Yes, and they can contact me via email or by phone. Okay. And my email is listed on the website. Perfect. And how can a bar member who is considering signing up with a qualified provider determine if the company is compliance in compliance with bar rules? Like, I'm sure they get approach from people, you know, different companies all the time saying, hey, well, you know, whatever the lead is that they're going to get them uh, so many referrals a month. If they're being bombarded by that, how do they determine if it's if it's a approved provider that they should sign up with? With the qualifying provider services, there there really isn't a compliance. It's more of a registration process. So they would contact me to, to check their registration status to make sure they're current on all their annual filings. And what does the bar require from bar members who want to sign up with a qualifying provider? So not for a qualifying provider to become a qualifying provider, but for a member to sign up with the service. Okay, the contact person of the qualifying provider service has to send me in a correspondence stating that they have added this member to their list of participating attorneys. And that new attorney that wants to participate with the qualifying provider service has to send in a letter of participation. Monica, I assume that there are qualified providers that also occasionally violate the bar rules um, and that your department is the one that hears about it. Can you give us some examples of, of what a qualified provider could do that was would be considered a violation or give us some stories that you know about? Don't give us any names. Um, <laughs> but what does that look like? One violation is not reporting annually and not submitting the correct names of participating attorneys. Another violation could be a Florida attorney may not participate with a QPS that hasn't been determined to be in violation of the rules or not properly registered. And then what happens if a provider is in violation of the rules? Do Does your department notify them that they are delinquent in, in their annual reporting or do they just automatically just drop off the list? No, we, we notify them that they have not filed their annual report. Um, We give them a total of 15 days to respond. If there's no response, then they will go on the unregistered list. I would deactivate their account. And does our members that are on those lists for those that are in violation, do they get notified by the bar or is it up to the qualified provider to tell their, their clients? Yes, each each participating attorney would be notified if they are participating with a specific qualifying provider service that we found to be in violation with the Florida Bar rules. Yes, they will be notified and we they have to respond. Are, are bar members signed up with multiple qualifying providers typically? Is that what you're what you see when you see the list? Some, some yes. 
a lot of the accident injury, personal injury. Yes, the attorneys will participate with more than one qualifying provider service. And when someone knows that um, a qualified provider is doing something unethical, is it your department that hears about it or do people call the ethics hotline? What happens? No, they call me directly. Some want to remain anonymous. Some send an email and want to still remain anonymous. But it's their colleagues that are reporting, you know, the violations and the citizens are reporting the violations. And so they call me and let me know. And then from there, we investigate and contact our investigator, Karen Brown. And she does the legwork of the investigation. And Sinead does the prosecution part. And who is ultimately responsible? Like who, who is the bargain to take action against? The member who knows there's a violation or the qualifying, qualifying provider? Both. Both. Mm-hmm. And and again, f- for our, our members listening who may want to maybe participate, if they're listed on the local bar website, like on one of our directories, because a directory technically falls under uh, a QPS, um, do do they suddenly participate in a lawyer referral service or a qualifying provider is being listed in a lawyer directory? I know there's like what Avo and and other directories mm-hmm. out there. Does that is that considered uh, a QPS or uh, is it specific? Are just specific uh, QPSs included? No, it is considered a QPS. It's actually one of the nationwide QPSs, and okay. I have several of those. So AVO is a QPS. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, that's okay. good to know. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the Florida Bar uh, Member Directory is not a QPS. No, no, ma'am. Perfect. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of this segment of our episode. Thank you, Monica Burks, for joining us today. Thank you. And if our listeners have questions, where can they find more information about a qualified provider services and get more information generally about signing up or find those lists? They can go to the Florida Bar website under the qualifying provider services and read. There are some bullet points to show different um, requirements for and the rule changes so that they can have a better understanding of what a qualifying provider services does. Excellent. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. Join us next time for another episode of the Florida Bar Podcast brought to you by Legal Fuel, the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. I'm Christine Bilberry. And I'm Carla Eckhart. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalFuel.com. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to the Florida Bar's podcast via iTunes, Google Podcast, Spotify, and RSS. Find the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the Florida Bar. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.